Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kauli. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kauli, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kauli. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of welcoming Krista Testani with Sharpline Equity. Welcome to the show, Krista. Hello. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you for taking time. So uh, Krista uh, with Sharpline Equity has been doing real estate for a long time. With her uh, previous law background, she transitioned into real estate and with Chris Jackson, she's uh, current partners with uh, uh, at the Sharpline Equity. So uh, Krista, give us a background about how you came about into real estate and why you prefer right now the multifamily side of the house. Sure. Thank you so much. Uh, very quickly, I am a lawyer by trade and I was one of those uh, disgruntled lawyers out there that was not enjoying her career choice at all uh, and really got into real estate based on almost backed into real estate um, mm -hmm. based on a, a suggestion by my husband who really had always wanted to get into the game, didn't really know in what frame, you know, what format we should do it, but wanted to get in. And we started, he had retired from uh, the fire department, New York City fire department. And we uh, teamed up with some firefighters. They're always very handy. Sure. Um, and we started to buy distressed assets around 2008, 2009, when the single family uh, market was flooded with distressed assets because of the foreclosures. Sure. And we started buying and rehabbing and flipping those. So that's how we got into real estate. I realized that the rehab model, the buy and flip was a great model, but things started happening in the Long Island market. Uh, the pipeline started drying up. The competition was getting more and more stiff with more companies doing that. I wanted to scale real estate and I did not see uh, this model as being a way to scale. I saw mm -hmm. multifamily investing as being a way to scale. So I got educated. I got into an education platform for a year, learned about the multifamily acquisitions, and then I jumped in with my first buy was uh, 2013. My first multifamily acquisition, 2013. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for that detail, uh, Krista. Uh, now, going into a market and, um, you know, it's very different, like how you would acquire a multifamily versus a single family. Right. So uh, give us a sense of, uh, Krista, what what some of the things you look for when you're looking for a multifamily property, for example? Well, you have to, you know, the first thing you have to figure out is what is your appetite, uh, asset class, size. Um, so you, you need to kind of know that. I'm so sorry. I thought this was off. Now it is. Um, my apologies. You, you need to understand your appetite, understand the different asset classes and what you want to go after and the size. And then right away, um, you know, when it comes to buying multifamily, you, you got to do your homework about the market. You have sure. to do your due diligence with respect to what are the economic factors that exist 
in your market that's going to drive rental demand. So, mm -hmm. you know, for us, it's always been follow the jobs, follow the jobs, follow the jobs. Sure. And not mm -hmm. only is there jobs, but is there diversity of employment? Mm -hmm. um, is there population growth or at least stable population? Uh, but what we don't want to see is any decline in population in a certain area. Mm -hmm. And you're looking at your markets, you, you need to do your research regarding medium in, median income. You know, mm -hmm. you want to know that the asset that you're going after, that, that people can afford it. Sure. Um, so you need to understand that, 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 you know, the medium income in that area, not only in the market, but in, in that actual neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you really need to dig into a lot of different aspects before uh, you go after it. But I, I would say the first step that you have to do is kind of like know what you want, you know, sure. because you are uh, doing something very different with an A asset versus a B versus a C versus a D. Sure, sure. So mm -hmm. who are you? What kind of, do you have the stomach to buy D assets? Because you need a very strong stomach to deal with the risk that's involved in going into a, a, a D building or, you know, um, you know, if you're in a D area, like you need to know who you are sure. and what you can tolerate and then target that, the, the asset class that fits your personality. Sure, sure. Now, uh, Krista, your group has assets in, let's say, Ohio, Alabama, uh, you know, Georgia a lot and Tennessee as well, right? Yes. Um, you uh, shared with me earlier that um, you have a deep, your group has a good experience in uh, doing a lot of C-class properties. Uh, could you maybe share, like, was that by design you approached uh, for uh, C-class assets or uh, what were your experiences like? Um, I think it was, and I think it, it, it's partly attributed to the education that I received from the mm -hmm. mentor that I received it. Sure. And his business model really did focus. He's since moved on to development, but he kind of started out in that C class arena, uh, sure. you know, and moved up to B minus B plus A's and boom, now he's doing new development. But it was in that C, that C to C plus arena. Mm -hmm. And he, he taught us about going in, what to look for and, you know, how you manage it, uh, you know, building out a, a business model with respect to re rehab. So I, I feel like it was having gone into multifamily, not knowing anything, sure. and then having a very successful mentor where that mm -hmm. was his business model. Uh, we understood it. I liked it. Didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So sure. I ended up entering into the multifamily market, kind of following his blueprint. Sure. And his sure. blueprint was looking for that C asset class in a C, C plus neighborhoods. And, and so that's what I did. I kind of followed his lead. Sure. Now, give us a sense of, uh, Krista, like some of the uh, C-class renovations and the properties that you have acquired. Uh, help us understand what, uh, what is it like experiencing, like you acquire, let's say, a, a building, right? And you're going through and, you know, let's say dealing with uh, some of the deferred maintenance or, you know, just the cosmetic rehabs that you may have done, like interior or exterior or some other challenges as far as, uh, oh, we didn't have the right property managers or we have had challenge uh, getting work done through, uh, you know, your maintenance folks. I'm just, you know, maybe perhaps putting words in your mouth, but give us a sense of what it is like to 
get into a C-class property and, you know, like going through first couple of months or something, you know? I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start by saying when you go into a C-class property, I'm going to say the first year, Mm-hmm. Full 12 months is a big year of transition. Sure. So it's not mm-hmm. just, the, it's actually not just the first couple of months. Sure. Um, I find it to be the whole first year. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, when, you, when, you, when you're going into a C-class asset, what, what I would say is just some general high-level pointers. The C-class, and, and we were talking about this before, sure. uh, when I went into, when I went into, multifamily, you know, I went in with a baseline, like I'm never going to look at anything below, you know, 1970. I would not, not dare look at 1960s, you know, sure. now fast forward. It's like, I don't want to look at 1970s now. You know, yeah. I, I would prefer eighties, nineties and above, you know, preferably seventies and eighties are, are now so sure. aged, you know, now I, I would prefer not to look below anything that's 1990s. So, I mean, that's the first thing. These properties are aging and over the years, what I have learned uh, are a couple of things when it comes to your big rehab projects going into C-class, okay? Mm-hmm. Everyone's always look at roofs, look at roofs. Newsflash, the new thing now that you have to be very careful with, if you're anything in pre-1980, besides your roofs, is your underground piping. Sure. Because 1960s, anything uh, anything earlier than 1970, actually, um, anything earlier than 1980, could actually have galvanized piping, which at this point, based on the age of the building, the life the lifespan of that piping is now starting to end. Absolutely. And and you are now going to have so water sewer is a big issue. And when you're doing due diligence, looking at that, because if you're seeing unusual fluctuation in the monthly billing, it mm-hmm. could be due to a lot of things, but one of the things it could be due to is underground leaks. Sure. So sure. Now, one of our first questions when we're looking at C properties, besides, you know, do you have new roofs is what is the piping? Is it PVC or mm-hmm. is it galvanized? Do you even know, you know, sure, sure. And when they don't know, then you have to start really examining their, their, the water sewer charges. That's a big piece. Deferred maintenance, which is something that you said, uh, you know, only through experience have I learned and realized you need to go in with a deferred maintenance reserve. I used to think it was six months was adequate. I would now recommend based on the age of the building that you go in with six months to a year worth of raising reserves for your deferred maintenance calls. Because even though you're going in with a rehab budget, with any Mm -hmm. C property, you're probably going in with a massive rehab budget. You need to cover the fact that once the new sheriff is in town, the new management, the new owner takes over, Probably the last three to six months, the seller, the exiting seller has not been taking care of the tenants at all. And, sure. and you know, mm-hmm. they're now in a, a hoarding mode where they want to spend as least, mo- as least money as possible. So you're going to get flooded with calls. Oh, you know, nobody's fixed my, my toilet. My toilet's been running for two months and my refrigerator doesn't, isn't cold enough. And the, my pilot light always goes out on my stove. There is, there is such a, um, an absolute huge increase in your maintenance calls the moment you take over mm-hmm. and that really isn't coming out of your you didn't really plan for that in a rehab budget those are absolutely great points krista you're yeah. talking about nobody has on the show pointed this detail that when you take over a c property and the aspect that you shared that okay the seller hasn't done much for three years i mean three preceding three months because he was pretty much planning to exit so he was hoarding cash and yeah. here the tenants are coming up with all sorts of uh, 
you know, maintenance requests for you as a new owner. So please go ahead. Yeah. So you, those costs, they're really going to drive your expense line up for the first easily six months, if not longer. Mm -hmm. It is better if the deal supports it to actually raise extra money to, to, to help your cash flow or sure. else your cash flow is going to take a significant hit mm -hmm. um, be, because of that. So I would say, you know, that piece is very important um, going into these C-class assets. You know, your managers, I say this all the time, if you're third party managing, um, it's never guaranteed that the relationship is going to flourish and be successful, uh, when, especially if you're working with a new management company. But when you, let's take, for example, you're going into a new market with a new manager, you, you vet your companies out way in advance of even making your first offer. Sure. You, mm -hmm. you want to have your property management company vetted and considered on your team by the time you are now looking at deals and making offers, because I have often asked my management company to come with me on due diligence inspections, mm -hmm. or not even due diligence inspections, that's a given, but um, even sometimes when I'm just taking tours of property, mm -hmm. having them come along with me to see what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And any good management property uh, and any good property manager will take the time to do that because you're a prospective client uh, that they'll end up, you know, work, they'll end up getting the deal. So they'll make the time to do that. That's really important. When we underwrite our deals, uh, we often show our managers the underwriting and say, sure. what do you see out of line here that you don't agree with? Because mm -hmm. they are the field operators in the market. Um, I'm assuming, I'm making the assumption you're picking a manager that has, you know, experience in the market with the asset class sure. and asset size that you're bidding on. Okay. Because sure. sure. operating a 20 unit is different than operating a 200 unit. Absolutely. So um, you want to make sure that you run your numbers by them and make sure that they're giving you feedback on, on the various expense lines and the income drivers, because they're the ones that are going to be doing the day-to-day -day operations. So mm -hmm. they should be part of that process from the beginning. And I, and I don't know if many um, people that are new uh, at this do that in the beginning. Sure, sure. No, those are all great points, uh, Krista. Thank you for sharing that in great detail. I think there's there's, there's a lot of good things to learn from and uh, slowly unpack. Uh, you mentioned about uh, maintaining some level of reserve for that, uh, you know, just the deferred maintenance piece of it, right? Uh, can you maybe, I know this may be a subjective uh, question, but can you maybe give a sense of uh, like, how much is enough? Is it like, hundred dollar per unit uh for just for the deferred me so that's so 300 you know, per unit 300 so, per unit gotcha yeah. gotcha yeah. so that one you are saying is that that is enough uh or, or i guess that gives you enough cushion to cover the deferred maintenance basically it gives you some cushion you know hopefully it gives you enough cushion sure 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 and, and sometimes and you can you can look at the number just you know do your cal calculations see what that number is and you know then look at your asset and say you know maybe we better we better add another five ten grand to that number but sure mm -hmm. and then of course everything has to be you know tested out in your performer and what does your deal support Great, great, great point. And obviously, this is, uh, I mean, just to clarify for our listeners, this is over and beyond pretty much the other, the CapEx and the other operational reserves that you may have done. This is addressing some of the stuff that seller may not have done, basically. Right, exactly. Awesome. Now, going back to the point of property managers and the property management companies and their vetting that you were referring to, uh, Krista, right? Uh, how, 
how can we go about, you know, maybe perhaps finding them, which are the great ones or which are the relevant ones uh, within that market, right? Is it just something you do a Google search or is there something from OM we can learn? How can we go about that? Uh, lots of uh, lots of different avenues. So uh, yes, Google uh, brokers. I always ask for referrals from my brokers. They they're mm -hmm. always you know. I've even asked for. I, I mean, this deal that we're in right now. Um, I actually asked the seller. Not only did I want to look at his management company, but but he could he just give me two management companies that he knows of in the area. I mm -hmm. asked the seller for referrals as well. Sure. So uh, it's always so certainly brokers. The seller itself. We've we've Googled, um, you know, we've Googled and, and as you network and as mm -hmm. you network in the industry, sure. uh, your colleagues, you know, may have recommendations. They've been in or near your area that they, they can recommend. Sure, sure. So, sure. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, throw a wide, cast a wide net when it comes to asking for referrals regarding your, your management companies. Awesome. Awesome. And your advice also was to have the property management infrastructure sorted out uh, and figured out much before so that you can take them along with you uh, during the initial sort of the LOI phase or perhaps once you have the LOI, maybe have them review all those numbers and see if anything is out of line. Is that, is that what you said, Chris? Absolutely. Because, you know, you take your broker feedback with a grain of salt. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, you're going to want somebody else's feedback like a manager too. And I can promise you some of that feedback will differ from sure. the broker, mm -hmm. right? Awesome. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it's very important to almost um, compare and contrast what the broker is saying versus what the property management company is saying. Sure. Now, Krista, you, uh, your group has a lot of assets that uh, currently you are managing and uh, you are reviewing reports on a daily basis and things like that. So, uh, and you pointed to me earlier as well is that you wear the hat of the asset manager and you're making sure everything is running great and, uh, you know, things are being performed as they should be, right? Uh, can you maybe give a sense, uh, Krista, as to uh, typically on a weekly basis, like uh, how are you interacting with property manager? What sort of questions you are asking? Uh, you also shared uh, earlier as well is that uh, there were times when you had to change the property managers and things like that. So uh, give us a kind of a sense of, you know, what questions you are asking or what are the red flags that typically uh, pop up in your head when you are interviewing or looking at the reports and talking to the property managers? So again, important, and this is one of the, why you want to vet out a company early on, even before you're, even before you have a deal. Uh, sure. You know, I would say my first red, my first red flag would be if a, if a property manager tells me that they're not willing um, to get on a weekly call with me regarding mm -hmm. the, managing the property, that would be a problem for me. Mm -hmm. Because I don't care asset class, size, where it is for the first year we expect a weekly call with our manager. And mm -hmm. as a, you know, and the longer the hold and the more stabilized the property, we can then scale that, uh, or I should say pull that back a little bit and go bi-weekly. Sure. Um, maybe there's a point in time you would go monthly. I don't know, but, uh, but it does not have to be for weekly forever, but we absolutely request that in the beginning. <laughs> and, you know, we focus on a lot of different things when it comes to asset management. Obviously, you know, income and expenses is the obvious, right? You're looking sure. at your income every week. You're looking at expenses. You're looking at lead generation and traffic. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we're looking at delinquency management. 
-hmm. lease renewal management, mm -hmm. property reputation management, and tenant, and tenant communications. So we mm -hmm. consider it like, we call it the five pillars, I think some of the pillars that, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you have to look at income and expenses. I think not enough operators are concentrating on really honing in on delinquency, really honing, honing in on um, your reputation management with, uh, with your tenants. Sure. That's mm -hmm. something that I don't, I, I don't know if people are concentrating enough on and they need to. It's the idea of you know, besides everything that you have to do, which is drive income and lower your expenses, you want to create a sense of community on, sure. in the property that you own. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and successfully doing that will increase your reputation, will improve your reputation. So we're sure. always getting online, looking, you know, making sure that the property manager is answering any negative reviews, you know, so that's very important. Mm -hmm. Tenant communication is, is super important, which is like for instance, we have a monthly newsletter that we pump out every single month on our properties. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's chock full of lots of different things, some information. Sometimes it's nothing more than, you know, announcing a Thanksgiving turkey raffle that we're doing. So, but the point is, is you, you have to be concentrating on all of it, you know, sure. expenses, lease renewal, tenant communication, property reputation management, all of it needs to be worked on simultaneously. You I can't see. put off one because you need to do the other. You have to work on all of them at the same time. Sure, sure, sure. Now, uh, I mean, obviously it's a gamut of things, uh, Krista, right? So you are working with property manager and their assistant. So it's like a team effort. Is that, or are you maybe perhaps indicating Krista that um, you expect property manager uh, to lead that and direct their assistance accordingly. Could you maybe clarify that? Well, when we get on, uh, when we get on a call, call, we're usually on the call with uh, whoever is on site, you know, mm -hmm. the actual property manager. Sure. Most of our companies have had, um, well, the larger ones have a regional manager that may be overseeing, so they'll get on as well. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's our whole team. And, and, and here's the key. It's, it's team. It's a team effort. So sure. we are driving a lot of what we're asking management to, but as asset managers, we jump in and do the do as well. Sure. So for instance, uh, I am the one that drafts up monthly newsletters. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't ask the property manager to do that. I do. I do it. I send it to them. They, you know, tweak it, whatever. And sure. it, it goes out. Uh, I have no problem as an asset manager rolling up my sleeves and providing help where needed. Sure. We, we talked about Chris Jackson. He's very, um, and our other JV partners in the, in the Chelsea deal, sure. right? Mm -hmm. They are uh, very big technologically on driving traffic to our properties. Sure. We mm -hmm. don't just say uh, property manager, make sure you're driving traffic to our properties. I mean, we're asking them what they're doing, what platforms they're using, how are they monitoring it? How are they tracking it? But we've jumped in as people that have a high tech background sure. and added value in that, in that arena and provided um, some, some, you know, te technic technically created platforms that our JV partners have created to help drive traffic. So, as asset managers, you can't, it's not, it's a deceiving, almost a deceiving uh, title to say you're just an asset manager because it sounds like you're kind of this high level person in the background that reviews reporting all day long. 
Um, there's a lot more to it. <laughs> yeah, there's way a lot more to it. And sure. um, the other thing I'm going to say is asset managers, I don't care where your property is, get to your property frequently. Sure. Show hmm. your face at your property. Let your managers know. Uh, you know, you're available to them physically if need be. Uh, make, make sure your investors know that you have eyes on the property on mm -hmm. a regular basis. Um, yeah, this isn't like a back office kind of scenario where you're behind a computer all the time and, and on site is, is doing everything. It's, it's, it's a team effort. Absolutely. It's such a hands-on job for sure. And you rightfully pointed that you have to show up. You have to show that, hey, you're active and serious about this. Now, speaking about lease renewals, uh, Krista, uh, you know, obviously we are reviewing the market data, whether it's winter, summer. I mean, the season of the uh, sort of the year sometimes can also play into these things. Help us understand how you're managing the lease, uh, lease renewals Perhaps you are giving any concessions and whatnot. Uh, uh, just, just give us a sense of what what goes into that discussion. Yeah, I, it's just it's a huge piece, and there's so much that does go into it. And literally, and this is why I think it's so important uh, to start off with weekly calls, and and then maybe go to biweekly because the market can be changing at any sure. given moment. You constantly have to, with all of our monthly reporting, we request comp information because we constantly have to see what everybody else is doing and are they starting to offer concessions and, you know, and, and compare apples to apples, you know, your lease renewals. I mean, one of our managers even has a system built in where their system has algorithm that measures how, how many, how many units are being renewed in a particular month, mm -hmm. you know, and there's, you don't want all of your, you don't want to line up where a good portion of your property is renewing during the holiday season, right? Sure. So, yeah. you know, you need to stagger it. So, and you may have to write out 13 month re renewals to get people moved into different parts of your calendar year. Sure. Because, you know, clearly, you know, that you always hear spring is a very, uh, a really good time for a uh, lease up summer as well. But as you get into the holiday season, it slows down. So you want to kind of spread it out. Sure. So that everybody is not all lumped into one portion of your of your calendar year. You constantly have to test your market when it comes to pushing rent. If mm -hmm. you are 100% occupied all the time, sure, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, you're not pushing your rent enough. Because right. there should be a little tension there. And, sure. and, 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 you know, 100% occupancy means you, you got to push more. But then it's always like, but how much more? Sure. So you always mm -hmm. have to, you always have to test that um, with respect to how far can you push uh, and are you going over the line? You have to manage your rehab budget and how much you're putting into your units versus what you're going to get. You have mm -hmm. to always make sure you're not over rehabbing, spending right. too mm -hmm. much on a unit that, that a market's not going to support. So sure. there's, there's that tension that you're always looking at. So that, that lease renewal, and then of course there's incentives to keep people on. And here guys, part of the lease renewal and property, uh, property reputation management and the communications that you have with your tenants, you're doing that every single month so that when it comes to lease renewal time, it's easier to retain tenants. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think what a lot of people do, a lot of operators do is a month or two before they lease up, you know, their renewal, I should say, mm -hmm. before renewal, they're knocking on their tenant's door saying, oh, is there anything we can do for you? Um, 
No, you need to be doing that all, all year long. You know, mm -hmm. you don't just knock on the door a month or two before a lease renewal and say, hey guys, we want to offer you a new lighting package because we see that you have outdated lighting. Mm -hmm. and do that mm -hmm. just as a way to do a lease renewal. If you're doing little things like that, that during the year, mm -hmm. you won't have to offer, you know, th there's not a need then to, because we've had people say, now you're offering, I've been, <laughs> you've been coming into my unit for various repairs all, do, all, all during the year. You couldn't see that my lighting is dim and I needed an upgraded light mm -hmm. lighting package. Mm -hmm. So tenants are not dumb and they, they understand exactly what you're doing. If you make an effort all year long, um, to provide for them, to listen to them, to address their needs, your lease renewal ep efforts will, will be easier. Interesting. Thank you. I mean, I can, I can, you know, appreciate, uh, Krista, the amount of detail and the practicalness that you mentioned. I just simply love that, uh, you know, and uh, Krista, how does that communication with tenants look like? Like, um, meaning the, you know, is the, are the property managers, uh, Kind of interacting with different tenants, maybe perhaps on a monthly basis, or doing like a routine inspection to understand that okay, what perhaps they can improve uh, in a certain unit. What does that look like on a, a weekly or a monthly basis? Yeah, so the management companies, um, you know, management companies have different uh, systems in place. It's important to understand, you know, what they are. When it comes to overall communication, like I said, we do a monthly newsletter that we do, a, and it's like it's almost like we hit all the buttons. So we send out a monthly newsletter paper under their door. We're also, sure. we also email them, uh, a, you know, the link, we text the link. So we're trying to use all the different formats of commu communication mm -hmm. because you never know what people prefer. Sure. You know, when it comes to being inside the unit and, and understanding what their needs are, um, number one, we've calendared certain things so that, in other words, we're doing a, a reach out and uh, like a reach out inspection on, on a quarterly basis mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that, you know, just like, a, in other words, we have everyone on, on, a, on, a, on a calendar. So sure. it, at the quarterly mark, they're, they're getting some type of inspection so that we could see what's going on in the units. The other thing too is if so, like when our maintenance people are doing repairs, mm -hmm. they're trained to make note of other things that are going on. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So just because they're there to unclog a toilet bowl, if sure. they notice that, you know, the kitchen light is you, you can barely see in the kitchen because the wattage is so terrible or, sure. or, or they're not complaining, but that the, the, you know something's hanging from the ceiling, the wires popping out. Sure. They're trained to make note and report back to the management so that things could be addressed maybe even before a tenant complains about it. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I always say that, yes, those maintenance people are definitely the eyes and ears of uh, uh, your property right. and stuff, right? So moving on, Krista, uh, talking about the repairs and the CapEx and stuff, right? So how do you approach that like so when you take over a property of course depending on uh, you know what sort of needs are there you're allocating the budgets right uh, but from a perspective of uh, you know rental premiums or the rent bumps that you can receive uh, is there any uh, sort of uh, uh, guidance as far as okay if we invest let's say 3000 in a unit to maybe upgrade the kitchen the flooring we should get x amount of uh, 
uh, you know, uh, dollars more in rent premiums and stuff. Can you maybe share what is your philosophy of, around, uh, uh, you know, sort of doing the repairs and receiving some of the rent increase? You know, I, there is a formula out there that uh, I remember in my training program, there was this like set formula that that was provided to me that it was a benchmark. But um, I don't we don't even like refer back to it. It is it is more about absolutely you, you need to understand where the rents can go. And that's sure. when you do your, uh, your your comp analysis and you get your feedback from your management. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you understand the rent pushes and separate out the rent from any other additional income. You have to understand your market. Are people paying rent? And is there water, sewer, and pet fees included? Pet, it's pet, water, sewer, and trash, or are those additional fees? So make sure you know there's a clear line separating that and you understand that. And, and then you have to look. It's like a 10% rule. I wish I could think of it off the top of my head. It's buried in a notebook somewhere. But... Uh, you know, you can also just have a gut reaction. If you've got to spend, like on average, I will tell you right now, and this is actually a good point to know, it's, this is actually a good thing that I can provide guidance with. When sure. I first started, it was very easy to do, I'm going to say on average, 1,000 uh, square foot units, upgrade units in the 5,000 range. <laughs> I We have been, this is a word of caution, we have been very surprised at, I guess, material costs have increased substantially over, I'm going to say the last five years. Sure. How much more we spend on our unit rehabs, even, and I'm not talking about, you know, turning it into an A unit. Mm -hmm. I am talking about a, an overall rehab where maybe you're putting in flooring, updating appliance, counter, countertop, backsplash, doing two-tones paint, rug on the floors, and updating lighting packages. We cannot do that less than seven to eight grand and more like 10, 11. Wow. So that's, that's, yes, that was a shocker. And we learned it on our last property. We went into our last property thinking our, our units could be upgraded between five to seven and it was seven to 11. Wow, that's a that's a tremendous takeaway for for anybody listening. And now, and if you're doing that for a twenty five dollar push, sure, no, right. Now, so what we learned is so then it's also about how many we we do such an intricate rent analysis because we in our performers we do um, we we plot out every single rental unit. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so we may be doing substantial uh, increases. We may be doing substantial rent improvements on a rent that's 700 mm -hmm. because we know that we can get 1100 in that market mm -hmm. and doing, um, you know, for the ones that are getting eight or $900 and we mm -hmm. can turn that unit for less than a thousand. Mm -hmm. We're not going to rehab that unit at all because it won't, be, it won't be worth the push. Sure, sure. So we really look very carefully as where is the unit at? How much does it take to get it to a standard of our liking? And what kind of rent push that are we going to get? Mm -hmm. we, we recently in our uh, current property in Lithonia had very extensive rehabs. Like I told you, they were sure. coming in between seven and 11,000. 11, and we were increasing them about, uh, you know, it could be anywhere from uh, 200 to $300 a unit. Wow. We realized doing, but we realized doing classic turns, mm -hmm. classic turns uh, that cost on average 2,500 mm -hmm. 
we were getting anywhere from 75 to $150 in pushes. Why wouldn't you then say, you know, to do a, sure. to do a $2,500 turn to get 150 rent push. That's a we better bargain. Then a $10,000 turn to get a $200 rent push. It, sure. it didn't make sense. We right. immediately, once we realized that happened, we immediately put the brakes on doing what we call our premium package rehabs. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing what we call a classic with a push, a little better than a classic turn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly not in the premium premium range. I see. Now, the related question there, Krista, uh, the increase that you stated, right? Uh, the increase in cost, is that uh, mostly attributed to increase in material cost or is there anything uh, related to increase in... Our manager, it's been our manager has been saying that it's mostly uh, attributed to to the material costs mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what's going on in the world, you know. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So more or less, the labor costs have are not a huge factor. It's mostly the uh, mostly the material costs you're saying, basically. Interesting. Interesting. Now, uh, when you take over a property, Krista, uh, what are your quick favorites? Are you like uh, doing um, exterior improvements, like let's like, say perhaps uh, painting the exteriors or like beautifying a leasing office or uh, you know uh, recording your driveway and things like that? Give us a sense of what are sort of your quick takeaways on the uh, some of the exterior improvements there. You have to work on exterior first. Even if your game plan is to do some interior rehabs, Mm -hmm. you have to work on exterior first and very, very uh, targeted exterior rehabs that will improve your show trail. Mm -hmm. Because if if you're not doing things like upgrading um, landscaping and if, uh, you know, the roof, well, I'm not even, even going to say the roof because that's not easy to say. Um, landscaping, seal and striping the driveway. Um, you know, we on a, one of our properties, even though even though windows doesn't necessarily add, there's not anything connected to windows where you can say it drives the rent, um, you know, the way an interior rehab would. Sure. Mm-hmm. Awful 1960s metal windows look so horrific from your exterior on out on this property that we just acquired uh, back in September. We are redoing all the windows because if you are doing these phenomenal interior rehabs where you mm-hmm. want to you know increase the rent substantially, but the experience of your prospect walking onto your property into the leasing office is awful, they're not going to lease up that new unit. So for instance, on our Augusta property, we made sure the leasing office was completely redone. redone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though we didn't want to spend money on the entire landscaping project uh, right away, we made sure that landscaping from the street leading up to the leasing office was redone. Mm-hmm. We are doing the windows because that was a major eyesore. We're, we're redoing, uh, like we repainted all of the metal railings and platforms on the property because that's visually very sure. impactful. You have, you want to, you want to jump in and do interiors uh, as well right away because you want to bring in those higher paying tenants, but you're never going to get them without doing very well thought out targeted exterior work first. Sure, sure. Great advice. Great advice there, Krista. Thank you. Uh, And before we go, Krista, uh, we're just about time. Uh, Give us a sense of um, 
how COVID uh, has impacted your business? Like what sort of precautions you're taking or perhaps moving forward? How has things changed in your mind as far as how you will kind of move forward with different assets? Okay. Uh, can so answer both those questions. So very quickly with respect to how we're, what we're doing now with our current assets, like we spoke about before, um, very difficult managing, for instance, delinquency, um, because of the fact that we as owners have no leverage because we're not allowed to evict right now. Sure. Uh, actually, mm -hmm. Georgia is opening up, but if any of uh, anyone, you know, for future reference, when you have a federally backed loan, like a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, uh, that was impacted. They dictated the rules and we're still unable at this point to evict and tenants know it. Sure. Mm -hmm. So we are trying as best as possible to work with tenants. We're incentivizing them to pay their rent early by giving them discounts off of their rent. Sure. You know, figuring the ones that can pay would want to take advantage of a rent discount while they can. We're mm -hmm. doing things like that. We're trying, we're, we're, um, we are, um, when it comes to arrears, if anyone has substantial arrears, we're trying to, uh, entice them to pay off their arrears and we will, there's a, a, a large portion will forgive, you know, so there's arrears forgiveness we're talking about. Anything that we could possibly do to have them prioritizing paying their rent on a consistent basis, we are working on that. Interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And again, until, until, the, until the floodgates open and we're allowed to go back into the courts, our hands are tied to that extent. When it comes to future assets, we have really, really dug deep down into what we want to do differently. And mm -hmm. the asset that we're currently in contract with is a prime example of how COVID-19 has impacted us. Mm -hmm. okay. mm -hmm. One, we picked an asset, like I spoke with you in York, Pennsylvania, that's very close to our home base. Mm -hmm. We are on Long Island. Um, and we did that for a lot of reasons. Number one, we want to be able to uh, drive immediately to our asset if we need to. And in, in, with COVID-19, you weren't able to, or you didn't want to get on planes even sure. before they shut down the airlines. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, we are looking at, you know, for the first time in a more tertiary market because we really believe there is going to be a flight from the cities. Uh, with people mm -hmm. staying at home and companies learning that employees can do their job from home, I mm -hmm. think there's going to be a lot of surprises where people are going to end up working at home more now because their, mm -hmm. their job actually allows them to based on this experience. Sure. We really, we went for, you know, I've been in, in Atlanta for the last five years. We are in a very tertiary market right now where we really feel there's going to, there's going to be a flight to this market. Mm -hmm. um, this particular building, we are actually, there is space in the basement. We are going to be building about four or five home offices. We are offering mm -hmm. our tenant base the ability to work from home, but not necessarily work in their apartment. So if sure. they want to get out of their apartment, but they can work from home and no longer need to go into their office every day, they can actually rent office space in the, in, in the basement. We are looking at a higher, um, uh, a higher class asset for the first time. Our entire careers, we've had C assets. Mm -hmm. This asset is a B plus plus with higher income earners. Uh, mm -hmm. We wanted we wanted something um, where, you know, the earners are making a little bit more money, likely to have larger savings, sure. more liquidity, mm -hmm. so that when something happens like this, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, have no money to cover their rent for the next three, four, five months. 
Makes sense. So mm -hmm. yeah, our general, our average income earner in this particular building is 65 plus. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's something that's very different. Um, this is a gut, gut rehabs building that uh, very low maintenance costs. We didn't want to go into a building where we had to raise a year's worth of reserves just in deferred maintenance. Sure, sure, So sure. COVID-19 has, has changed our view dramatically, you know, for the time being. Not to say we're never going to go after a C asset class again. Sure, but sure. But we've always done well, and we, and we know how to buy and manage C class buildings. But, you know, this is the first time that we are in contract on a building of this type. Incredible. Thank you for the great insights, Krista. It's, it is a pleasure. It, it feels that I think I can ask you more questions, but it feels like we are just about time on the show. I know, I'm kind show. of out of breath. <laughs> but, no, I know. And I mean, there's just so much to learn. So, I mean, I, I feel that, you know, I, I'm leaving the show half done and I, I definitely look forward to having you on a future podcast as back. well. Uh, before we go, kindly share with the listeners how, you know, how, uh, how they can find you and learn more about your company and everything. Sure. Uh, www.sharplineequity.com. Also, if you Google multifamily apartment investing, there's a face, open Facebook group uh, where we, you're welcome to join our Facebook group. Chris and I, my partner, are just always sharing tidbits about different learning tidbits that you know that we experience and we like to share that with the group so if you're interested look for us there and of course directly i am at krista k-r-i-s-t-a at sharplineequity.com incredible insights and it's been a powerful show thank you for coming on krista uh, viewers like you are just a uh, just an honor to host and learn from uh, I personally gained a lot of insights as well. So thank you for your time. It is a pleasure. And I will definitely look forward to having you on a uh, future podcast where I think some of the ground that we were not able to cover will definitely get addressed as well. So thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite. It was fun. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates, research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.